Yeah. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. We sing and you fill our hearts with the joy of music and the joy of your words. So we pray that as we take a moment to, to listen, to inwardly digest your word, that you would fortify us, Lord, that you would trim our lamps and uh, give us the, the light of Christ and that you would allow us a moment to think about the saltiness and the seasoning that we bring to life. So open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Been a lot of talk and I've been reading a lot about sermons and sermon studies and and sermons, my own preaching, been able to evaluate, think about how I come and how I prepare and what it means and what you hear and what I say and the power of preparation and being ready to go and relevant and all of those things. And at my advanced years, it's kind of an amazing thing that an old dog can learn new tricks. But I like that. I enjoy that. I enjoy getting better, I enjoy thinking it through and trying to figure it out instead of having it all figured out and saying, well, you can just adjust to me because this is the way I do it. If you don't like it too bad, that's not my style at all. Some preachers stand up and they preach big, long doctrinal discourses. And as sure as a pastor and preacher stands up and preaches these long doctrinal messages, people will say, pastor, your preaching is right and correct but it's not relevant it doesn't make sense nothing for me to nothing for me to take home and then you go to the other side of that the pastor preaches all this relevant shovel ready stuff that's all together and here's what you do and here's what it looks like and here's how it works and and then people say you know what your preaching's just not you know deep enough you're telling us what to do and we need a little bit more Jesus in that. I wonder how Jesus dealt with that. Matthew's gospel is written around five discourses. Does that mean Jesus only preached five times? Or that there are only five good sermons that he ever preached? And Matthew said, you know, we'll choose these five. Jesus never had a schedule, an LED screen, bulletins, artwork, PowerPoint slide, never had a choir, never had a computer. And yet the best sermon that was ever preached is here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for us, the Sermon on the Mount. No question in my mind, Jesus plums not only doctrinal reality, but also the marvelous things of prayer and giving and anxiety and getting along with your brother or sister. If you start right now, and you read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you can probably finish it twice before I'm done preaching, which has a little bit of irony all over it. Because there's no preacher, me included, especially me included, that would never be as winsome or dynamic as Jesus as he preached from the mount that day. 
And his people's lives were transformed by his words. Because that's what the word of God does. It transforms hearts and lives. What Jesus says comes into being. When he says, yeah, in my word, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. It harkens back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. The powerful, creating sense of God's word. What God says comes into being. Let there be light and there's light. Let there be sun and moon and there's sun and moon. God has not stopped creating. Matter of fact, through the power of his word working right now, he's creating in you and me. Because that's what his word does. When I declare something, when you declare something, it doesn't transform it. It doesn't change it. Case in point, last weekend during the Super Bowl, we had friends over from Minnesota and they had their seven-year-old little girl with her and with them. And, and, and she was shy for about the first 10 minutes. And then she was like a pinball in our house. Four hours of blonde mayhem. <laughs> Uncle Clink's house and Aunt Barb's house is made for, you know, we don't have a lot of fancy stuff. It's not like, ah, oh, don't touch that. Ah, don't do that. Ah. Run around, have fun. She fed the fish in the backyard. She thought that was great. We checked the wings on the smoker. She thought that was great. We played games of cards and some other stuff. We played and, and, and had monkey shines for a little bit. She helped with the wings. We finished the wings. We made homemade ice cream. And finally, with about five minutes left in the Super Bowl, which was the best part, <laughs> we cuddled on the couch and watched the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. And she looked up at me, and she's got kind of quizzical eyes, and she said, Uncle Clink, you're a silly head. <laughs> now, I didn't Google it at that point and look for my face under silly head on the Google Doc on Wikipedia or whatnot. I, I, I just took it in stride. I thought, I'm pretty sure being a silly head is a good thing. But it was descriptive. She described an afternoon of joy and fun, and an afternoon of close connection, a, a new relationship with my wife and I, and, and the fact that our house was warm and open, and, and she felt joy in it. She didn't feel fatigue, but she felt joy. She didn't transform my face, my heart, my body, but she encouraged my spirit, and some words do that. When you say the right thing to the right person in the right way, it feels good. So I looked at her and I said, and you, Peyton, you are a little chicken. And she looked up at me and she goes, buck, 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 buck. <laughs> Because of my words, she did not become a living, active, breathing chicken. She did not grow feathers, a beak, and little chicken feet. But she was, I was descriptive of her posture, of her staccato movement in our home, and of the joy that came in watching her operate. My words encouraged her spirit and gave her a sense of closeness, not that she could sprout feathers. There's a difference between the word of God that is living and active and creating and the word that we bring, which can be encouraging and affirming and loving.
You see, what God says is. What God says comes into being. And, 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 and the power that, that he brings to bear through his word can transform our, our hearts and lives. So that when he says in Matthew 5, 13, and in Matthew 5, Matthew 5 15, and 16, these words, it, it happens inside of us. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And then immediately he turns around and says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And again he says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Ah! What Jesus says is what you are. His word forms you. His word shapes you. His word fashions you. His word creates. And what he says comes into being while you are here today. His word has its way in your heart. You are not literally turned into salt. You're not literally turned into a candle. But God calls you to be pure and tasty and preserving. He calls you to be the salt of the earth and moves you in your life by his word to be salt and light. Romans considered salt pure because it was white. Salt was pure. When Jesus speaks of that, he's calling us pure. He's saying, you are pure in an impure world. He says, you, by being salt, preserve the very best of God's desire for humanity. In a world that seeks an assimilation to sin, you preserve. And he says, you are the seasoning of life through faith in Jesus Christ. As Christians and as disciples of the Lord Jesus... We are what he says as he shapes us in the context of a culture that needs the church sprinkled and poured out dramatically. Our culture revels in impurity. I can't tell you how many people grabbed me and said, did you watch the Super Bowl? And I said, well, the last five minutes, they go, did you see the halftime show? And I said, no. And they said, good. <laughs> Our culture loves impurity. Our culture reinforces impurity. And the Lord calls us to be salt. Pure people, pure Christians in a pure way of life. Articulated as Jesus continues to preach in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Our culture desperately needs sprinkled upon it. The preservative, the forming, shaping power of the Christian community. In the decay of self-centeredness, greed, selfishness, and hatred, political polarization, our culture needs Christians who are people of prayer, devotion, generosity, kindness, and great love. And I think he calls us to spice it up a little bit as well. How about those handbell players this morning? Did you notice that it said Bach and then it said Gebert? I thought that was awesome. I didn't know Alex was that old. <laughs> right? 
Every generation brings its iteration of song, of talented musicians, of people who are gifts of music, who spice things up. For goodness sakes, if it wasn't for Christian art, there wouldn't have been museums. If it wasn't for Christian literature, for Christian architecture, if it wasn't that Christians saw in every vocation of their life to bring honor and glory to God, the world would be a drab, boring, beige, brown, listless, insipid place. You are the salt of the earth. You bring the seasoning and the spice to life with your kindness and your grace and your love which flows from the Lord Jesus. It works its way into our families, into all of our relationships, and into our community. You are the salt of the earth. Pure. Preserving. Seasoning. That's what God says you are. And you are light. You are the light of the world. How about that? You're just not light for the house. You're not just light for the moment. You are the light of the world. It seems as if God is giving our congregation an opportunity to be light. It seems as if we have the the favor of the Lord upon us, as if our lamp, our wick is being trimmed, and that our light is becoming very focused and very bright. I loved in our presentation last week with the survey that, that Brady Darwin, our researcher, had sought out the leadership of Orange and that he had visited with the mayor, the former mayor, a city councilman, the police chief. None of your names were dropped by the police chief, by the way. It was all on the up and up. They talked about our leadership at certain events. They talked about a can-do and will-do attitude on the part of the people of St. John's Orange. You know what? Whenever we ask the people of St. John's to do something, they do it. They step up, and it always seems to work out okay. You know, those people of St. John's, I love this comment. You know, those people at St. John's could tell people a little bit more about themselves and the good work they're doing in the community. And I thought... Yeah, we don't put the light on ourselves. We put our light on Jesus. You are the light of the world. Jesus' words create that in you and me and in our church. As surely as his father's word said on that first day, let there be light. But he calls us to be light so we can be seen, not glorified, but noticed, so that people will see Jesus in the light that's reflected in us. You are the light of the world. You make a difference. Just a little bit more to this sermon from another preacher. A guy who saw Jesus face to face. A guy who was on his way to Damascus to make trouble for a little outfit of Christians. Going up to kill him like he'd done in the past. And then the Lord reached down in a lightning bolt or a, a flash of light. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul falls off the horse, falls blind, goes to Simon's house on State Street. All the early Christians are like, you've got to be kidding me. Why would we bring that murderer into our community? 
because I told you to, the Lord said. He is my chosen vessel to bring my word to the Gentiles, to the world. And so the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, they inform what we're all about, who we are and what we do. How Paul could say something like, I was never eloquent of speech, I never had it all together. I never came to you with precision of language or all this well thought out stuff. But I came to you with fear and trembling. And these words. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God is who You are who God says you are because of Christ. Christ is the point of each and every sermon. Whether it is a sermon filled with doctrinal facts or relevant realities. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul wrote in Romans 1.19, is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus kept the law of God. Not a little marking or a little thing omitted he was trampled and thrown out and yet in his trampling and throwing out by his crucifixion he brought us purity from sin he brought us faith that seasons our life and preserves us steadfast in the faith from the moment we're baptized into Christ into the moment that we see Jesus face to face he who is the light of the world he calls us to be the light of the world. The light of his resurrection. It directs our ways. It leads and illuminates the path upon which we travel. It warns us and keeps us out of the darkness. And at the end of the day, it leads us home to heaven. For I resolved to know nothing, nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Every message, whether long and boring or short and pithy, every message that comes from this pulpit, every Bible study, every life group, every interaction that we have brought into a few words for the salt of the earth and the light of the world are transformed are delivered the goods with the gospel of Christ and Him crucified. Should we pray? Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to proclaim Christ and Him crucified today. Thank you that you call us to be what you want us to be, salt and light. I pray that you would sprinkle us liberally throughout our communities. And allow us to share your grace and your truth, your love, the connection that comes in community. And we pray that the contrast between the church and the culture would be so amazing that people would see Jesus in and through our witness. Bless us as a church, Lord. We thank you for this season of your favor. And we 
Thank you for the work that we've done in the past. And we look forward to what you will do here in the future. And we thank you. Thank you so much for the community that we share. This we pray in Jesus' name.